Welcome to What the F is Going On in Latin America and the Caribbean, a popular resistance broadcast of hot news out of the region. In partnership with Black Alliance for Peace Haiti Americas team, Code Pink, Common Frontiers, Council on Hemispheric Affairs, Friends of Latin America, Interreligious Task Force on Central America, Massachusetts Peace Action, and Task Force on the Americas, we broadcast Thursdays at 4.30 p.m. Pacific, 7.30 p.m. Eastern, right here on YouTube Live, including channels for The Convo Couch, Popular Resistance, and Code Pink. Post-broadcast recordings can be found at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Telegram, radindymedia.com, and now under podcasts at popularresistance.org. Today's episode, Ecuador's president dissolves the National Assembly, triggering, triggering early elections. And I'm so happy uh, to welcome back today's guest, author and journalist Joe Emmersberger. Um, I'm sure many of you remember him from our conversations last year regarding the controversies in, in Ecuador, June of 2022. Um, you can find Joe's work published at Counterpunch. It was a great article that was published yesterday that I will put in the program notes. Um, he can also be found at Fairness and Accuracy in Reporting, Mint Press, and many other publications. Also, be sure to read his book, Extraordinary Threat, The U.S. Empire, The Media, and 20 Years of Coup Attempts in Venezuela. So before I have Joe um, join us, I just wanna again remind all of you, this is, we're really lucky to have him back with us for this episode, cause it'll be a nice, uh, uh, a nice follow-up expansion of our um, conversation June, late June of 2022 uh, regarding the protests in, in Ecuador. And uh, so let me give you all a little bit of background as to what's happened in Ecuador uh, in the past week. Uh, so Ecuador's President Guillermo Lasso dissolved the National Assembly by decree on May 17, bringing forward legislative and presidential elections and heading off an attempt by opposition politicians to impeach him. Opposition politicians wanted to impeach Lasso over accusations he disregarded warnings of embezzlement related to a contract at state-owned oil transportation company Flopec, F-L-O-P-E-C, charges the president himself denies. A majority of lawmakers had backed a resolution accusing Lasso of allowing the corrupt contract to continue after his taking office in 2021, although a congressional oversight committee which heard testimony from opposition lawmakers, officials, and Lasso's attorney said in its report, it did not recommend impeachment. Lasso says the impeachment process, the first against an Ecuadorian president in decades, is politically motivated and has sparked a grave crisis that has threatened democracy. The, the dissolution was necessary, he claims. Citing the crisis and inability to govern, Lasso invoked the constitutional constitution's so-called two-way death, muerte cruzada, which we talked about a bit um, last year with Joe. So uh, this provision, excuse me, which allows the president to call elections for both his post and the National Assembly under certain conditions, including if actions by the legislature are blocking the functioning of government. According to the Constitution, Lasso will now remain in office and rule by decree. 
And so it's this circumstance that we've asked Joe to come back and talk to us about. So welcome, Joe. Really, I'm so pleased that you had time to talk with us today. Oh, thank you very much. I'm glad to be back with you. So where should we pick up this conversation? Because it really is uh, a continuation of, of what we saw happening May, June in Ecuador of last year. Uh, the demands specifically by the indigenous community, which in fact we had talked about, have um, had the power to remove presidents two or three times before in Ecuador. Yeah. And now we have a president who under threat of impeachment has dissolved the executive and legislative branches of his government. Yeah, the, the Muerte Cruzada came in with the new constitution of Ecuador in 2008, and it's to prevent it was it was meant to prevent the political instability that happened in the past. They went through like seven or eight presidents in 10 years over a 10 year period in the 90s and early 2000s. And uh, like you said, presidents were thrown out with free street protests. Uh, and um, so this was a mechanism that was brought in to say, OK, look, if there's a there, there is uh, the Congress wants to get rid of the president, or the president wants to disregard Congress. There's got there should be a way to say, OK, you know what? Go to the voters. Let them decide. Your your fate, you know, and this was supposed to was supposed to head off the that kind of instability, and um, I think while Correa was in office, it would, probably was a factor in 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 preventing uh, in keep because he, he was in office for ten years it was unprecedented. He had a ten year uh, ten years in office with and uh, achieved a lot, reduced homicide homicide rate by two thirds, um, uh, reduced poverty by like almost half. And then what happened was when Lenny Moreno came in in 2017, he ran on a, a Correa loyalist, but he, mm -hmm. he he immediately transformed into like a, a copy of Lasso. He he basically implemented Lasso's political in that Lasso's political platform has really been been underway since 2017. We should think of we should think of La, as of Lasso's presidency like Moreno's second term. It's the same thing, wow. and and um, with that. Um, under the first two years of Moreno, what he did is he stacked the the judiciary and the um, um, the uh, the electoral authorities and the uh, all kinds of regulators. Uh, he he did it in a very unconstitutional way. He he handpicked a body that that acted as if it were a constituent assembly elected by everybody, elected by voters, and it, it made these sweeping changes. So that's one concern about Lasso's uh, being able to rule by decree now for a little while is because all the authorities are stacked more or less in his favor. Um, so the only because according to Article 148 that he invoked, he's allowed to in, to issue only decrees of emergency nature for economic reasons. Right. And the oh, constitutional court is supposed to approve them. But the problem is the constitutional court is a very pro-business court. It was illegally fired and replaced in 2018. It's been stacked with very pro-business, pro-corporate uh, uh, people so that it's not it's not nobody think nobody believes it's going to be a real check on his ability to ram through all kinds of right wing uh, uh, decrees, uh, gutting labor laws, uh, giving tax giveaways, privatization, all sorts of nasty things that he can do in the time that in the little time that remains. I mean, the first round of the elections are supposed to happen on August uh, before on or before August 20th. So there's a short window, but still, given the way the the the, the whole apparatus, the state apparatus uh, has been stacked over the last several years, it gives him a lot of uh, extra power. In, in this short time, right, to uh, to do a lot of nasty things. Oh, yeah, he could, I mean, he could essentially, he basically <laughs> yeah. has like almost 90 days to kind of put mm -hmm. in a really strong, complete mm -hmm. neoliberal model. 
Oh yeah, yeah. He's, he's got all... of natural... oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, he's got a lot of he's got a lot of leeway now with these with the court that's, that's supposed to be the only check on him is one that was. It's been a point. It was it was it was legally brought into into existence <laughs> that the other court was fired and replaced. Right. So he he has these stacked uh, regulatory apparatus. Any other concerns to what's he going to do with the election? Are there going to be dirty tricks in terms of the elections? What are the uh, you know, what's going to happen there? Although it, it looks like the uh, one thing to stress is that I, the, the right wing in general did not want this to happen. Um, like I said, like we discussed last year, the National Assembly tried to invoke Muerte Cruzada last year during protests over the liberal liberal austerity measures Lasso was bringing in. There were major street protests, people dying The national in the streets. The National Assembly said, OK, this is an emergency. Let's go to the polls. Let's settle this at the polls, not in the streets. That's the whole point of this measure, right, of the Muerte Cruzada. So uh, and it failed to get the necessary votes. It, it fell short of the two thirds majority required to get it. Then there were their efforts to um, to subject Lhasa to a recall referendum, but the electoral authorities shot that down as well. They found excuses to shoot that down. So the impeachment process then came. But again, the impeachment process only came, in, uh, I think, only really was pressed forward because these other methods to force Lhasa to, uh, to, to be held accountable at the polls failed. And now, and now, ironic. It's ironic that now he ends up invoking Muerte Cruzada when he fought against it, right? But he did it as a last-ditch <laughs> exactly. effort because he was going to get impeached. Uh, he and, and he made it ridiculously obvious that the only reason he was invoking was because he didn't. He, he was going to get impeached, and he wanted to just cut the proceedings short. So that that calls into question the legality of him doing it because even though the Article 148 gives him a very broad latitude to to uh, invoke Muerte Cruzada. Uh, to dissolve the the forcing snap elections, um, it's not clear that he that he, that he's allowed to do it and make it obvious that he's only doing it to cut short an impeachment process that's underway in the National Assembly mm -hmm. that had had a constitutional court approval to go to be underway. So uh, it's that that becomes somewhat dubious. But in the end, the court unsurprisingly it upheld his uh, his upheld his decree. But like I said, this is a very pro business right-wing court that was installed illegally so it's not surprising um on the other hand i honestly i i think compared to compared to what i just mentioned compared to the fact that a constitutional court was fired and replaced th this unconstitutionality of his decree is in my opinion not not as big a deal as what we've already seen you know we've seen uh, uh political opponents exiled thrown into jail korea's Freya disqualified from running, you know, during the election in 2021, we had the attorney general conspire, openly put on this big show with Columbia's prosecutor accusing the one of the, the major candidate of being uh, financed by the ELN uh, rebels in Colombia. Oh, and, uh, right. Yeah. yeah. And Andres Arauz has actually he's gone to Colombia and he's pursuing legal action against that prosecutor now. Oh, and it's, good a very, it's, a, it's a very yeah. good time to do it, too because it's hopefully will deter some of those dirty tricks from happening again. So, uh, you know, in, in view of all that, you could, you could actually say uh, it's kind of, it's not even that it's, it's, there's an argument that what he did was illegal, but I don't think it's as, it's as bad as what they've done over the course of the last six years since Moreno took over. They've done worse than that. Um, well, so, they've yeah. basically ensured all the institutions are in favor of a neoliberal project. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, so now, so now they're gonna. And, but what's the good thing is that Lasso basically did this to save himself. But he didn't. I don't. He did not consider the interests of the broader right wing. So this has fractured the right wing unity that's kind of held mm. them together in the past six years. You know, um, and he just. And this comes off. You know, in February, like I wrote, they just had a disastrous uh, electoral 
uh, municipal regional elections were disastrous for the right wing. It was it was swept by uh, the, the the big the huge winners were the Koreas. They they won by far the most municipalities, and they uh, Lasso in those elections had eight referendum proposals that he uh, for for dealing with crime and insecurity that he put forward, and they were all defeated uh, because the people just didn't don't. Uh, uh, He's so unpopular, he can't even get proposals passed. Like, for example, he tried to say, "Well, we should we should be able to extradite people to the United States if they, you know, if they're found accused of drug trafficking or stuff like that." And and those were kind of they were proposals tailored to kind of appeal to um, kind of uh, a right wing populist uh, approach to fighting crime, and it didn't work because the the Koreaists and other uh, progressive factions say, "Look, we didn't have that. We reduced homicides by two thirds. We didn't do any of that." We just had we had good common sense policies that uh, that reformed the police, that devoted resources to uh, to to improving security. So they and they didn't have mass mass incarceration, didn't have the death penalty, didn't have all the kind of things that right wing people always want to say are the solution to to yeah. bring down crime. So Joe, I just want to mention for the audience that the audience can find in the program notes your article from February um, discussing the election results. Um, and the article is called Elections in Ecuador Unmask Western Media Dishonesty. I shared the link um, uh, with Mint Press, but that article was published in several different publications as well. But it's well worth reading. The way yeah. So you, you come off elections where you do that horribly. I mean, the, not just Lasso, but the whole right wing, his party. the whole. And so why are you going to force snap elections after you just got throttled? Yeah. <laughs> so this was yeah. so obviously just an attempt to save himself and only himself. Because if he had been impeached, okay, his vice president takes over. The right wing technically still has a time left. That, right. Uh, right. So so this shows that he, he's, he's the right wing unity has been fractured. Uh, even the right wing media outlets like Equivisa are saying, no, the elections have to happen right away because they know that if they, if they try to pull something just to delay the elections or tie themselves further to Lasso, that's he's like a sinking ship. They don't want to be tied to him. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it, it's 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 an important development, but it's huge concern. What's he going to do in the time that remains? You know, he yeah. basically has yeah. nothing, all he has to all he seems to care about is just. Uh, you know, I think one reason he could he could be trying to ram through all these these uh, these dec right wing decrees is is also to shore up support uh, to help him make sure he doesn't suffer any con. They can escape and uh, you know not face any legal consequences in Ecuador and make sure he has the support of any foreign supporters and U.S. supporters and and just get out of there. You know, before anything can happen to him, before he can be you know potentially jailed for all the things he's done. So. Um, yeah, so he's he's looking to save himself, and he's he's uh, he's uh, sacrificed the broader interest of the Ecuadorian right by doing this. That that to me is is just fascinating. That I mean, for long term political strategy, because like you were saying uh, earlier, the all the institutions have been configured under the Moreno uh, government to support neoliberal policies. And so, and, and and also for the audience, Joe has another article that was published yesterday in Counterpunch called Ecuador's Democratic Backsliding Has Been Ongoing Since 2017 with U.S. Support. And you talk about all of this, how, um, and that link, by the way, is also in the program notes for the article. So you talk about all of this. So why, I mean, the self-preservation of one man over this project that we don't necessarily agree with, but this project has been in place since 2017. 
And so you have one person's desire for self-preservation destroying that. I mean, it's destroying that whole right-wing yeah. project. I mean, I guess in a way it's a backhanded blessing for many people. Well, but you know, it's, it, it's Ecuador's right. Traditionally, Ecuador's right wing has been very fractured, very self-interested, very, very uh, not united. And mm -hmm. actually, the the unity it's shown is is a is a new thing. Under the, over the past six years, they've been united because they they had this tremendous fear of Korea coming back. But their tendency has always been to to, to really fight viciously amongst each other. That's why when I mentioned that period of uh, eight presidents in ten years, a lot of it has to do with that right wing infighting. Mm -hmm. Where it, now it, it it didn't really. Um, it, they kept replacing with neoliberal governments anyway, but it was different factions within each other. Um, I have an interview with uh, David Villamar, but you can also you can find on Counterpunch from a while ago, where we talk about the right wing uh, infighting. Even during Lasso, it's, it starts to become evident. But then, you know, when there's a threat like a Muerte Cruzada, they, they closed ranks again. But this time they weren't able to close ranks. This time Lasso just uh, decided to just uh, make this decision and basically. Uh, you know, uh, screw up the whole the rest of the of the right Ecuadorian right. So uh, it's gonna it's gonna be tough for them now. Uh, they, they they like I said they just got throttled in elections uh, in February and now they're gonna go to snap elections. So uh, it's gonna be very tough for them. And uh, but on the other hand, like like I, we've been saying, Lasso has all these powers that he can use to do a lot of nasty things and try to try to tie it in another government's hands if he can. Um, so there, there there's there's a there's another conversation about what and if, if the Koreans get back in power, what are they going to have to do to uh, to undo all this now? Uh, and one idea that's been floated by by Korea and by um, well, even Andres Arauz a bit in when his candidacy in uh, 2021 was the idea of a electing another constituent assembly, mm -hmm. like they did in 2008, where you you elect um, uh, you elect people a, a, an assembly that has uh, powers to um, to rewrite, to modify the constitution. And it has, uh, in the transitionary period, there's there's a lot of other powers it has where it could reorder the, the judiciary and the and the, and the electoral authorities. So they can, it can undo a lot of the damage that's been done by by the previous governments. So that that's, that's one way, that's one way they could proceed. But in creating a situation that has to be undone means that the progressive project, should it and its people come back to power, is going to have a delay in initiating its its vision. Well, there's oh, things oh, that. Yeah, well, I'm sorry. Yeah, they're they're they're, they're going to have to do both at once. In my opinion, because that's what they did in 2008. They didn't just um, when they started. They immediately started doing things that they implementing progressive policies at the same time. They also. Uh, reordered the 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 government the whole constitution this time won't be as bad because in spite of everything they still have the same constitution they had from 2008 yeah. right so they probably won't be have they won't have to be as drastic an overhaul but i know that that idea has been floated that some of the irregularities and illegal appointments has just been a, a, a just a, a, a nightmare so that that's one option they're gonna have to do to un undo some of the damage now they, they can't focus only on that as you say they have to address the immediate problems they have to address them quickly they have if they get into power they have to show immediate improvement in, in living conditions to have to have the, the 
because to prevail with a with a it, like you have to have elections for a constituent assembly if you want to win those elections you have right. to be showing you have to be showing something you better be showing that you're doing something other than just say vote for us <laughs> so um yeah they're gonna have to they're gonna have to do a lot this is gonna be a challenge but i think they can I mean, they've done it before uh and i think they can get back into power and and, and they have Korea has a track record. They they have achievements. They have people who would, who who like uh, you know Andresa Rouse, for example, ran the central bank. Um, you know he he was the so they have key people who were involved in, in in fixing Ecuador before, and I think they know how to do it. They have the experience. I think they can do it again. But it's 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 yeah, they're gonna have to get busy right away. Let, so let's talk a bit about um, what is possible in these snap elections in, in August, because I'd, I'd like to go back to the article you wrote in February, discussing what a lot of us found really surprising and exciting, how much the Correistas won, how much political ground they were able to take back, mayoralships and governorships, specifically right. in Guayaquil. And so to me, you know, we see that we're like, wow, what? So, what happened to make that possible? I mean, certainly Lasso's policies and these protests that have, you know, been manifesting since, you know, for almost a year now. But what happened within the the party and the movement? Did can we talk a bit about that? How that came what, about? What? Because it seems to me, Joe, that that success in February also you know, was a reason either for Lasso to, and to dissolve the presidency in the National Assembly, but could also see why the right wing is saying, why would you dissolve, you know, why would you exercise this Muerte Cruzada now when the Correistas gained so much ground in February? Right. Well, it's, I don't think they know what to, like, I don't, they have, don't, they've lost control of, of the violent crime in the country. It's quite, violent, mm -hmm. homicide rate has quadrupled since 2017. I mean, oh, they have, wow. they, they've just, they've just lost control. They just, they, they've, they've have, I don't think they have any idea uh, how to fix it. I, I don't think they have any idea how to do anything, but spin, try to spin it somehow and uh, say it's either Korea's fault or, or resort to these uh, reactionary proposals. Um, like for instance, saying, uh, you know, we got to uh, give people more guns. You know, that's one of, <laughs> just one of the, the solutions they have. In fact, one of the candidates they've put forward for uh, one of the right-wing parties uh, the party that used to have so much power in the coast, uh, the social uh, social cristianos, the guys who used to run the the coast pretty much, Guayaquil. They had the they had, they were they were the they had the municipality of Guayaquil like for decades. Uh, mm -hmm. The candidate they just put forward is this unknown guy. I forget his name, uh, but he's uh, he's a far, he's a mercenary who fought he fought in Ukraine, he fought in Syria. Oh my uh, God. And that's his big thing. Hey, I I know how to use guns. I'm gonna fix yeah, it. I'm gonna yeah. shoot them. All. I'm gonna kill them all. <laughs> Literally, that's their, that's, yeah. their <laughs> that's what they're resorting to. So um, it's scary because that, that they don't have no idea what to do, and 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 the only solutions they come up with are just are just just horrific. So uh, yeah, so that's that's what's really going on. I think that's that's really taken over everything. Is when you have people, they're just uh, horrified to, and, and that's to go along because it correlates with, of course, an increase in in uh, in poverty and everything else, but the the, the insecurity in the country, which of course actually also affects the economy. How do you, you know, right. uh, affects all uh, everything. So 
uh, yeah, it, it's that's I think the the, the thing that that's that's that helps Kodaismo is that uh, this is happening, but also that people I mean people remember how safe Ecuador was, how safe it became. There was a two thirds reduction, so it wasn't just like Ecuador was safe; it had always been safe. It wasn't actually very safe when Korea first took office because if you have a two thirds of reduction in homicide rate, obviously you have a lot to reduce still, right? It was pretty high. It wasn't like compared to Colombia, uh, other very, very unsafe places, but it was still, a very, it was like, it was three times higher than what it is in the United States. Okay, so if you if you look at the, uh, over time, the homicide rate when Ecuador, when uh, Korea took office at the, at the same year, in 2007, it was, its homicide rate was like three times higher than what the USA's homicide rate is. By the time Korea leaves office, it's pretty much the same. It's come down almost at the same level as the United States. It, it reduced by two thirds. Yeah. So that's a huge improvement. People remember that. And they remember yeah. that. So it's, it's hard, uh, you know, six years later to tell people, well, you know, to, to kind of forgive my language to bullshit people about, about that right so it's very hard to bullet so i think that's a huge factor in why uh uh, uh really pressed that advantage and said look we know how to solve this we've done it before that's a huge that's a huge argument to use and how much you know last year's protests so we're approaching almost a year exactly june of 2022 were triggered by extensive austerity measures by right. the Lasso government. And so there's there's clearly been some backlash to that. Well, we, we saw the protests last year specifically by uh, the most marginalized people, the indigenous people and campesinos. Um, so you've got unity among that and probably stronger now a year later in, in pushing yeah, I, change. I, yeah, although I, I still think there are tensions there. We'll have to see how that plays out. There's always been a tension between the indigenous movement and the Koreaist movement. Mm-hmm. Electorally, electorally, Koreaism has been the big electoral movement, but they they kind of lack a certain uh, grassroots capacity to organize. It's always been an issue, but in, especially because during under Moreno, they took the brunt of the of the persecution. Everything their leaders were exiled and uh, you know jailed and everything. Whereas um, Kanai initially got along with Moreno, you know, because Moreno originally, you know, he was, he was marketing himself kind of as a, as a, even though he was very right wing, but he was kind of marketing himself a little bit as like a reformed Cordaismo, like, you know, like we're, we're going to, we're going to, and it, it, he could kind of pull that crap initially because, you know, it took a while for his policies to really bite, you know, his whole, all his right wing uh, neoliberal crap it didn't it took a while for it to really hurt people because ecuador is in a pretty good place obviously when he when he first took office mm-hmm. so he could ram a lot of things through before people realized w- you know, what he really was you know what i mean so that 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 was an issue so um now but then by 2019 the, the indigenous movement was totally against him it already had this was even before the pandemic struck before the pandemic arrived they were they were massive protests in 2019 there were like 11 right. people killed or eight, eight, uh, eight or ten people killed in several days. Those were like the first we saw, and then Chile, yeah. and then Colombia, and the, right. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I then, and then what? Yeah. And then you have to remember is that the pandemic, um, Ecuador had one of the worst pandemic responses in the world, which is really amazing because, uh, given its climate, given its young population, 
it, it had some advantages there, you know, that it, it could have, but it, it was really amazing. It, it even, and this was coming out even in the Western media, which always gave Moreno and Lasso a, a kind of a free ride. They gave them good press. They got away with so much, <laughs> you know, with the, with, the, and they would never, uh, they, they got very good press. And yet even in the, like the financial times kept, kept careful track of the uh, COVID uh, deaths. And for several months, Ecuador was was near the top in a, in a yeah. worst worst performance. A lot of it is based in the coast. Um, the, the 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 response, especially in the coast, the bastion of the uh, right wing social Christian party, they were ex especially bad. It was just horrific on the coast around Guayaquil. The response to COVID and that really hurt them. And I think that really, I think they really, that was part of why why they paid such a big price in the uh, in the elections as well. So there was multiple factors. It's just been one disaster after another. And then all throughout this, ever since Moreno took office, the, the homicide rate constantly climbing. And then with Lasso accelerating, just getting even worse. So it's just uh, just multiple disasters. And, uh, you know, you, you I think, uh, my opinion, the corruption scandals again with Lasso, I think if things weren't so bad, it, 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 I think he could fight those off. I think the yeah. media, with the media support, I think he yeah, could... I, you could probably fight those off. What, 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 but if people just have to look around them and see how everything's falling apart, it's very easy to think, well, the government must be corrupt too. Right, it can't right. be this. Just, you just simply use that as the excuse to get rid of them. You know, yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah. yeah, it's much more easy to buy into that versus say, well, okay, he's a bad guy, but you know, the streets yeah. are clean and the economy's yeah. growing. And so you right. tend to, right. I mean, and not just Ecuadorians, but all of us right. we sure. tend to accept things, you know. Right. Um, right when living conditions and economic conditions are, are, are favorable. You know, if we could go back, to, I just want to mention um, for the audience regarding um, Ecuador during COVID, we were able to do uh, a WTF, uh, WTF episode with Guillaume Long, who is Korea's former, for the audience, Korea's former foreign minister. And we um, talked at that time, it was when all the bodies were in the streets because the mortuaries and stuff were privatized and not able to respond i mean just in the the the, the deconstruction of the national health care system and all of that yeah it was it was gruesome oh yeah yeah it, it, it was it, very it, gruesome it's pretty bad that. when you, when you have a when you have a pro-us government uh, like ecuador is getting these macabre headlines around the world you know things are bad because they yeah. they really shield them <laughs> but it really had to get extreme for them to get the kind of headlines you usually associate with with us enemies you know where right you know right. if it comes into nicaragua or venezuela they'll take anything and blow it up into a big uh international news thing right but it, it for a country like ecuador to be getting that kind of press you know it had to be bad yeah and it couldn't it couldn't be hidden right it was yeah right. it couldn't it couldn't be glossed over or hidden I wonder, Joe, in our last few minutes for the audience, if we could have a technical conversation about Article 148, just so that people, what this Muerte Cruzada is, and uh, we, we, we talked briefly uh, before going live about technically what it is, how it came about, and how it's being, being used. Okay. It was brought in in 2008. Because, like I said, Ecuador had uh, a period of tremendous econ or political economic instability in the 90s, in the early part of the 2000s, where you had, you had a, like a musical chairs of presidents getting thrown out constantly. This refers back to the, and not that these were right, a lot of it was a right wing presidents getting thrown out by other right wing factions. It was, like I mentioned, this right wing uh, bitterness and, and viciousness among themselves. 
Um, and so when Correa's government came in, uh, they rewrote the, they convened the Constituent Assembly to rewrite the Constitution. And so one of the things they said was, they, they thought was, well, okay, there's, if there's, you know, previously the Congress would just be able to impeach a president, get rid of them, and then basically stay there. And then, mm -hmm. you know, it, it, so they said, look, there's got to be a better way if, if, if there's if they really want to get rid of a president or if the president wants to dissolve the Congress, they should both immediately have to go to the voters to say, OK, uh, now now we, we put ourselves in, in your, in, you know, to be judged by you, you know, to you, you, you basically settle what's who's right here, you know, who stays, who stays and who goes. So it was a way to empower voters and also to get things. To, the idea was to get people out of the streets. Uh, out of unconstitutional uh, ways to, to change governments and get them into a more constitutional way that goes ultimately the voters decide right so yeah. that was the idea and uh, I think it's a good idea I, I just think in, in, in Ecuador's context today with the several years of uh, of, the, of the judiciary and everything being stacked by that, that, that it becomes dangerous because the, the president can issue the decree uh, decrees and not have any real check on him. But Article 148 is is very broad. Actually, it, it allows the president uh, to call uh, uh, to dissolve the to dissolve the the National Assembly, and within seven days, the electoral authorities have to uh, put out a calendar for new elections. And there are other laws, not in the Constitution, but other electoral laws that basically tell them it's going to have to be within 90 days the the new elections. So, um, and and, and what. Ask just we're talking about the composition, how you know the Moreno government was able to reconstruct the court. What about the electoral body? Is the same? Oh, same. Yeah, that's same, all been okay. yes, yes. That was this this body, this, this constituent assembly. This it wasn't it wasn't a it was a hand picked body by Moreno. It, yeah, it had this okay. long acrobat, but it it it, re it reconfigured the judicial council, the electoral authorities, superintendents. Uh, you saw okay. all kinds of regular, all kinds of control authorities, right? That were that were stacked by this body. Um, so, yeah. So the 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 the, the uh, Article One Forty Eight gives the president broad uh, latitude because it says in his opinion, in his or her, in his or her opinion. So that's already very broad, right? Uh, yeah. Just has to have an opinion. It's an open... <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there has to be like there, but there's a, there's an internal like one of the one of the reasons that uh, some of them require. Like for instance, if he says that the National Assembly is is blocking him, that would if, if he gives that as the rationale, he would have to go to the to constitutional court constitutional court and have them approve that that. But the reason he gave is is internal commotion, yeah. uh, internal yeah. shock, whatever. And internal that shock, one, yeah. yeah, that one did not require constitutional approval. That's so what is an internal shock? I mean, the Correas will argue that there are other rulings that they can point to where say no the constitutional it has to be something else it has to be like where there's a, a threat of a the uprising or something like that or, I, but the problem is it's very it's very broad right so it, it's a very broad uh power so it's, it's hard to, to argue against the i mean you can but uh i think they have they didn't have a, that i think they had a pretty good argument that what lasso did because there's nothing if you read it there's nothing where you can say well it, lasso made it so obvious that he wanted to just stop the impeachment so there's nothing in, in that in that article 148 that says that the the president if his opinion he's about to be impeached he can invoke this <laughs> it yeah. has to be it has you know it's even even a broad even given the broad latitude it's it's dubious that it that it, that it that it's fair to say that he can just uh, use this article 148 just to cut short a, an impeachment process that's already underway yeah that the court already approved the court already approved. Yeah. That's, that, that's, a, that's looking pretty dubious. But 
on the other hand, I I'm not sure that it's 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 a slam dunk either. I guess you know, I, it's it's not it's it's dubious, but I don't think it's it's it doesn't compare to other illegal things they did. Like when when Moreno convened this uh, his referendum that allowed him to stack that allowed him to handpick this body that restacked everything in 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 the, in the country. He did that without even any constitutional court approval. He just disregarded it completely. I mean, that was more blatantly illegal than 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 what Lasso just did. I mean, way more. And then and then based on that, everything that followed from that, the illegal because if the if the referendum itself didn't get uh, constitutional court approval, it was an illegal referendum. So you have an illegal referendum that leads to illegal authorities because if the referendum was legal, everything that followed from it was illegal. And then you had the firing of the judicial, the whole constitutional court. You know, I mean, that's that's just outrageous. And it, so in the context of what's been happening, uh, you know, Lasso's Lasso's transgression was relatively minor, I'd say. And he was just saving his own butt. Yeah. I, I used that earlier. Yeah. There's one so that, thing I, you know, go yeah, ahead. Go I'm ahead. sorry. No, no, I was going to say, yeah. And that's Article 148, which allows the president to, to force the invoke Marta Cusa. Article 130 gives the National Assembly essentially the same power except they have to get a two-thirds vote in the in the national assembly which was june of last year yes with all yes. the with the paranacional yeah and that you could you could probably well they tried to make the legitimate argument and like you said it didn't get the two-thirds majority vote there was political instability and economic, well, there, economic there instability well there were being there were being people are being killed in the streets by the yeah. security forces and so you're, you're, yes. you're yeah that's it's kind of, that's kind of what the whole point of Martin Pusada was supposed to avoid uh, from the 90s and 2000s. You go to the streets, you have mass protests, you have people dying, and then that chases out the government or whatever. You know that this is like this is supposed to be no. Let's go to the polls. Let's go to the yeah. polls. Yeah. Settle this. You know that the voters decide. That was that was the idea. Um, but uh, Lasso invoked it just to just to save himself from an impeachment process. So that that's why the the constitutionality of what he did was questionable. Um, but uh, like I said, every what's been going on the past six years, it, there, there's been way there's, worse. Yeah. Than that. <laughs> no, the damage, the, the institutional damage has already been yeah. done. Yeah, For sure. So I wonder in our last few minutes, if we can put this into some context as to what um, we're seeing throughout the Americas right now, specifically Latin America and the Caribbean. And I and I asked this in the context of a conversation I had uh, with our Venezuelan friend, Carlos Ron about the Monroe Doctrine. And you and I have talked about this also, how since October of, of 2020 through October of 2022, we've had presidential and national assembly elections across Latin America and the Caribbean with the majority of electoral results being left of center. And it's a spectrum. It's social democrat to revolutionary left, but but a huge shift in the political landscape south of the U.S. S border. And you know, I was saying in that conversation that I thought this was you know really really exciting, and that the end of the Monroe Doctrine is, is people in the southern hem part of the hemisphere are you know, liberating themselves from U.S. hegemony. And 
his response was, yes, but we have done this before. And this is when we see the U.S. get most aggressive, specifically citing Plan Condor in the 60s and 70s. So what I see potentially in this, Joe, is we've seen what's happened in Peru with Pedro Castillo and their non-elected government in Peru now. And the U.S. Southern Command, Laura Richardson, saying, you know, our hemisphere, meaning, you know, U.S. business, U.S. military, U.S. government, our hemisphere, our resources, our real estate. <laughs> and so this is why I fear what Lasso has just done. He's got 90 days to, not, you know, to privatize all the natural resources, water, gold, whatever, you know, all, oil, all the, what's, what's remaining of any public infrastructure and institutions, that can all conceivably happen between now and August 20th. Especially when you're so tightly, when you've got a government so tightly aligned with the U.S. and you've got the U.S. Southern Command just overtly saying what the objective is in the hemisphere. I mean, there's no window dressing on this policy any longer. Right. Yeah, uh, that's a, that's always a danger. Uh, what, you know, we saw with the we saw in the early part of this uh, century, right, we saw a wave of right wing governments, so-called pink tide. And then we saw kind of a reversion from that. We had the parliamentary coup in Brazil, right? Yeah. We had Macri come in and, and, and we had a kind of a reversal, right? We had Moreno come in Ecuador. We had, we had all these, yeah. all these yeah. reversals. But what we're seeing is that they didn't last because people remember, right? People remember the governments that actually delivered. So yeah, it's very hard for them. It, you know, it, they didn't, the, the, the reversals didn't last that long either. Despite all the things you yeah, mentioned, the US, despite the US support, I mean, uh, despite all the, all the U.S., all, everything the U.S. can do, it doesn't make them omnipotent. And a huge factor for, um, it's, a, it's a huge challenge, but uh, integration, you know, uh, one of the most damaging things, uh, Moreno, they, you know, Ecuador was more or less the, the center of UNISUR. You know, they had the, mm -hmm. that was, and, and Moreno dismantled it entirely. He sold the building, didn't he? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> So his his whole project was just destroying everything, but here we are, and it's on the cusp of coming back again. The Koreas are coming back again with this idea of integration, with this excuse me, with this idea of looking to China to yeah. to to help them to uh, with a diversifying, unifying, and diversifying away from the United States, getting independent of the of the U.S. financial system. Andresa Rouse, the candidate uh, for um, for in 2021 for Koreismo, he had a very very fascinating chat with Ben Norton about the uh, about the global uh, the U.S. dollar, but the U.S. financial system and how countries are, are are thinking of creative ways to break away from it and and to break away from this this arbitrary power the United States has to sanction everybody. You know, right. um, so people are very aware of what what the solutions that are potentially out there to get to get around that. So that's. That's going to be huge. So it, it's at the, it's a, like what you're saying is is quite right. It, it's very it's a it's a it's a dangerous situation that they're in because of U.S. power. But U.S. power is not omnipotent. There are solutions. They have uh, if they were omnipotent, they wouldn't even have none of this would be happening. I mean, well, guys like Glasso would just guys like Glasso would just uh, be replaced with somebody else just like him. You know, and it would be it would be, it would be no problem, right? Uh, but these things are happening, and uh, 
it's going to be tough though. They got to, they got to, the, the key to them is, is integration. They realize that, you know, as, as, as individual countries, they're much weaker, right? They have to find a way to unify and, 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 and divert and become more independent of the, uh, of the United States right now, you know, two countries like Andres Arroz was telling Ben Norton, two countries in Latin America want to do trade right now. The money that even if they're just trading among themselves, the money always ends up flowing through banks in the U.S. financial system. Right. Just Or you trade into U.S. dollars before. Yeah, it ends up yeah. it ends up flowing through the U.S. financial system, even has nothing to do with them. And that gives yeah. them tremendous. Yeah. And then and then they're able to, to needle their way to to kind of weasel their way in and and. And if they want to do sanctions, you can see how they have tremendous, uh, how that gives them the power to disrupt everyone's economy if, if they don't like you, right? So so they have to find ways to get independent of that. And there are, there are technical solutions that are out there, but it's the, it's the it, they need a sense of urgency and, and, and a sense of, of, of uh, to get that done. You know, these, these governments, as they come in, uh, you know, they can't be complacent. They have to get the work right away. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. so that's going to be huge. But you're right; it's a huge challenge. It's 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 you know, the United States might be in, in relative decline, but that doesn't mean it's still not very powerful and still not very disruptive. No, and what will it do on its way down? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like exactly. a wounded animal is when yeah, when you're the most uh, uh, mm -hmm. aggressive. Yeah, Precisely. the self preservation. The self preservation. Yeah. Precisely. So, so Joe, is there anything else regarding uh? The dissolution uh, of the National Assembly and the SNAP elections that we should we should let the audience know about before I let you go. Anything that? Uh, nothing. I think we've covered pretty much. I can't think of anything really. Um, I think we've covered all the the important stuff. Okay. You know, just so. <laughs> okay. Well, great. And just for the audience, I will include in the program notes both of the articles uh, that Joe wrote February and the one that and uh, in, in Truth Out yesterday. Um, the links are both in the program notes, and I will also include uh, our WTF episode with Joe of, from June of 2022, because um, that's some nice historical context as to how things um, have unfolded between then and, then and now. And then I guess I should also just remind all of you, you've been watching What the F is Going On in Latin America and the Caribbean. We're a popular resistance broadcast. Uh, we air Thursday, 7.30 p.m. Eastern on YouTube Live, including channels for The Convo Couch, Code Pink, and Popular Resistance. Post-broadcast recordings can be found at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. So thank you, everyone, and we'll see you next week. And thank you so much, Joe. Thank you, Gregory. Thank you very much.